Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counseling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Sally had been living with insomnia for 66 years and had been taking sleeping pills for 10 years. She believed that she would never be able to sleep properly But this all changed when she started to change the way she thought about sleep and began to implement new sleep-related behaviours that made it easier for her body to generate and sustain sleep. Sally used to average around three hours of sleep each night. She now averages around seven hours of sleep each night and barely thinks about sleep. In this episode... Sally shares what she did to improve her sleep after living with insomnia for 60 years. If Sally was able to improve her sleep, you can too. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi Sally, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Uh, thank you, Martin. It's nice to uh, meet you at last. Yeah, absolutely. We've been, <laughs> we've been talking through email for quite some time. Yeah. Um, not really. So this is really the first time we're meeting, so to speak. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's good to see you too. Yes. So um, I'm just going to, let's just start right at the beginning. That's what I like to do before all these podcast discussions. Um, can you tell us a little bit about when your sleep problems first began? And if you can think or if you have any recollection onto what that initial trigger was that led to sleep disruption. Um, I can't actually think of a trigger, but I've had uh, insomnia nearly all my life. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what the trigger ever was because I've had it since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I must have been about eight years old when um, I was frantic about not getting enough sleep. I'm worried that if I didn't get enough sleep, I wouldn't be able to get through the school day. And that was at a very young age. And my parents were concerned enough to take me to a therapist at that time. I don't remember too much about um, the therapist, but I do remember him with a slide projector. And he was explaining to me that... um, I shouldn't worry about sleep. It wasn't that important. And that a lot of people didn't um, sleep wonderfully, but, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. And I remember he showed me a slide of Winston Churchill. <laughs> and I'm very old. I'm very old. <laughs> way before your time. Um, who only used a cat nap. Mm. And he was perfectly right. And he showed me various other people. And um, I think it did help me. It did help me. Um, to talk with a therapist at that time. Um, I didn't have a major problem with it, but I, I was witness to insomnia because my parents were both addicted to uh, sleeping tablets. Mm. Remember, they were taking lorazepam. And um, they every single night at nine o'clock, my father would make my mother a cup of tea and they would take their sleeping tablets. So I, I witnessed that. Mm. growing up all my life and so it's possibly something that I picked up on in an early age that you know sleep can be a problem yeah um it wasn't any trauma that happened to me in school I'm pretty sure it wasn't because I I like school and um as I went through my teens and 20s 
and my mother would occasionally give me um, a couple of tablets in case in case I had a bad night. It was always on my mind, but um, so I always had had this thing about sleeping tablets, and um, I was okay um, until in my twenties um, we moved to uh, we moved abroad. My husband and I. Mm -hmm. And I think I was very unsettled because I'm not the kind of person who likes change so much. And um, I had problems there. And his cousin was a pharmacist and he used to get medicine for me. So I always had them. I tried not to take them regularly. Mm -hmm. So I always had them. So I've just had this ongoing relationship with sleeping tablets. And then um, time went on. I was taking them intermittently. And then ten, 10 years ago, we moved from the UK to Spain. Um, half a year here and half a year in, in Spain. That's how it was, was happening. Yeah. And I had been to a doctor with my sleep problems and he, in London and he gave me um, like 14 tablets um, for, you know, ages. I mean, you know, I couldn't go back and get more, but they were to last me really. So... I tried to sleep normally. I took over the counter tablets. I often have very bad nights. And then um, when I was desperate, I would take, I, I would count down to the days I could take one of my tablets. Mm -hmm. And then when I came to Spain, I went to the doctor here um, because I'd heard they were quite free with the tablets. So I went to the doctor and I said, doctor, you know, I'm having such bad sleeping problems. And he said, that's terrible. He said, you know, I'll give you something. So he gave me like a package of 30 Zopoclone. Mm -hmm. I already had some in reserve from my doctor in London and neither knew what was going on. So I had this Zopoclone and just knowing I had the, the, the drugs, um, you know, that I would eventually sleep. I thought, well, if I didn't sleep for two or three nights, I've got a tablet, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, I tried to eke it out as long as possible. And um, then that's how it was running. And then a couple of years ago, I started getting addicted to them and uh, the tablets. I couldn't sleep without a tablet. So I've been actually, before I met you, I've been almost constantly on a tablet a night mm -hmm. and um, getting myself really freaked out because I would check the internet to see how bad they were for me, you know, what how damaging. And then I read terrible things about having... Zopoclone is terrible. Uh, I wish I'd never taken them. I couldn't get off Zopoclone. And, uh, um, you know, I was so worried about withdrawal symptoms. I was really getting quite neurotic about, uh, about it, but I couldn't do much about it. And then mm. um, by the time I, I spoke to you, I'd lost faith in the fact I didn't think I could ever sleep again. Mm. I never thought I could sleep naturally. And, um, yeah, so... And the worst thing was with the tablets that they didn't help me really because the next day I felt terrible. Mm -hmm. I had been living in the fog. Now, I had been living in the fog for so long because they made me feel really groggy and not really 100% there, you know, not focused. Mm -hmm. And uh, also gave me some anxiety, I think. And then I looked it up to see if anxiety can get, if you can get anxiety from sleeping tablets. And it said you can't. Some people said you can. And uh, it's just been terrible. But uh, yeah, so that was it, really. And then I had to increase the dose, which was the worst thing. Because they weren't working in the current dose. And that was the point I met you, really. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's quite quite a journey that you've been on there. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think that the issue that there can be with sleeping pills or even just supplements, you know, whenever we take something um, in a bid to improve our sleep, um, it's never really a long term solution because it doesn't get to the actual problem itself, you know, like the, the root of the problem, the, the issue that is making sleep difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and they can, depending on what you take, you know, the chemical formula, um, it can increase the likelihood of sleep, but they'll never actually generate sleep itself because the only no. thing that generates sleep is your own body. Yeah. So what pills and supplements can do is help lower that initial barrier, that initial obstacle to sleep, which is often 
worry about sleep yeah. or worry about I'm not going to sleep. What if I don't sleep? And so by kind of taking the edge off that anxiety, it makes it a bit easier to sleep. So you tend to sleep a little bit better. But the problem is you just associate all that sleep you then got with the pill or the supplement or with whatever you took rather yeah. than recognizing that all that sleep was sleep that you generated, your body generated all by itself. And so the reason why there are another reason why there are short term solution is because when you have that belief, you can only sleep with a pill or with a supplement. As soon as you then stop taking it, if you've done nothing to address what the actual problem is, yeah. more likely than not all those sleep problems come come flooding back as soon as you stop taking or you reduce your dose or make any changes yeah exactly and i think you touched upon something good as well that that's important you know is you know that that grogginess those side effects mm. from um pills or supplements you know um it's really easy to also associate all those side effects with poor sleep or that there's something wrong with your sleep you know you can feel that oh, there's definitely something wrong. I'm getting non-restorative sleep. I'm getting sleep, but I don't feel good in the morning. No. Um, and it's really easy to blame that on your sleep when it could be whatever that pill or supplement you're taking is that's leading to that. So it's kind of this double-edged yeah. sword and it, it never yeah. usually leads to a long-term resolution, you know, no. when you end up there. Mm. So what, what was a typical night like for you, you know, back in those days when you were kind of taking those pills and wor worrying about sleep? What, what, how would you describe a, a typical night? Well, I, I'd go to bed worried. I, I didn't look forward to going to bed. Mm. Um, I, was const I, I, I wondered whether I would sleep and um, I was just focused on sleeping and invariably... I didn't, or I did fall into an exhausted sleep. But then I thought, well, three more nights I can take a tablet. But mm -hmm. I was um, very an anx anxious and worried, and I was hot and sweaty. Mm -hmm. And um, I scanned the insomnia sites uh, for tips. And um, I'd tell you, drawing at the right time, in this interview, what I what I did, um, a lot of the things that I read online just didn't work, and I thought it must be me. But you know, tried. They say it's tried and tested, and every time you see an article about um, how to get sleep better, they give a list of things to do, and I tried everything, and they um, some of them didn't work. I mean, a lot of them are common sense, like. Um, have a cool room etc or maybe have a warm bath before but a lot the a lot of the other things didn't help me um and yeah it was really really bad um i just never thought that i would sleep properly or sleep without help did you tend to find that it was difficult falling asleep at the start of the night or was it more to do with waking during the night and then finding it okay. hard to fall back to sleep no, it's the uh, actually getting to sleep. Just falling asleep. Yeah. yeah, falling asleep. And so you mentioned, you know, you tried these different things. Um, sounds like based on sleep hygiene, you know, yeah. these environmental things. And that is very common. You know, I think it's one of the first things that people who have insomnia try uh, because yeah. that's what all the information out there is well, most of the information out there is based on sleep hygiene. But the yeah. problem we have with sleep hygiene is it's more of a preventative set of techniques um, that, that, can, that are more for people that are kind of burning the candle at both ends, you know, that are, aren't prioritizing sleep. No. Um, I think it's, you know, in a way it's a little bit like, dental hygiene um or brushing your teeth so you brush your teeth um to keep your teeth healthy but once you've got that cavity no amount of brushing is gonna no. get rid of no. that cavity and really that's what sleep hygiene is like it's good as a preventative technique um perhaps um but once yeah. you have insomnia and you're struggling 
um, you're kind of past that. And these sleep hygiene techniques aren't really going to do much. But what they can do, which you alluded to, is when you then try them, you can worry that there's something unique about your insomnia, you know, that there's something yeah. seriously wrong because everyone is telling you to do this sleep hygiene stuff yeah. and you're doing it. Exactly. And yeah, your sleep is not responding no. to it and it can just lead to more worry. So um, yeah. I, I, I'm glad that you touched upon that because I think most people listening to this are probably familiar with sleep hygiene, maybe tried mm-hmm. it and maybe that led to more worry this thought that there's something unique about their insomnia when it's not. And it, and even when they do like clinical studies, looking at people with insomnia and different interventions, they use sleep hygiene as the control group because in the scientific community, people that are familiar with insomnia, we know that sleep hygiene doesn't do anything for people with chronic insomnia once yeah. you've got chronic insomnia sleep hygiene is just ineffective yeah. so we actually use that as a control group when we yeah. studies because it's known um so yeah i think that's helpful and i'm really glad you touched upon that um because i think a lot of people will, will identify with your experience there um so you mentioned the sleep hygiene was there any other things that you'd done or was there any kind of ways that maybe you were modifying your life um you know in response yeah. to difficult nights or in a bid to try and improve your sleep um well socially it impacted our social life because i was if, if we made arrangements with friends um i want to go early um make it earlier rather than later Mm. especially if we have the restaurant booking and it's not easy in spain because in spain people don't eat until about 9 nine thirty, you know because i would worry that if we ate so if, if we had such a late night then i wouldn't have enough time to to sleep it was always on my mind mm. um um you you know how many when i could get back to bed to try and sleep and then you know <laughs> sleep asleep that i can't sleep yeah. Um, so it does impact, impact my social life. Um, um, it worries about going on holiday and to hotels for the, exactly the same reason. I'm wondering whether I had enough sleeping tablets for the hotel because I would definitely be taking one every night because it was unfamiliar. And um, But it really impacted yeah, my life. I have got a list of things I wrote, if you don't mind me reading. I'll go for it. But there were so yeah. many of them. Um, okay, I told you, I searched the insomnia sites. Um, and I, it was on my mind all the time, sleep. Um, I'm jealous of good sleepers. My mm. husband's an amazing sleeper. I'm so jealous of him. <laughs> um, really, he can just fall asleep on the sofa or anywhere. Uh, yeah. Um, I tried no technology. Uh, but for two hours before bed, I've got a special flickering blue light, which is, I don't know. I, I don't know where it is, actually. Um, I think you use it once or twice. It doesn't work. It, mm. It's the light that kind of dims. You know, it comes on and dims, and you're supposed to look at the light. But it never works. Um, I had um, tried herbal drugs, melatonin, L-theanine, L-theanine or something, valerian, acupuncture. Um, I had acupuncture up to quite recently for uh, insomnia. It didn't help a jot. I slept so badly the night after I'd had it. Mm. Meditation. I tried so much meditation, but it just doesn't work for me. Mm. White noise, motivational notes. Um, um, Yes. And I freaked out um, once. It was about two years ago. Well, maybe it was a bit long by now. Leonard Cohen is one of my favorite singers mm-hmm. and he was in playing in Paris and um, we were with friends and he was going to be playing it was really late concert he was starting at about 11 at night and I watched the first half and he was going to finish at about four it was very late it was a night concert I didn't stay for the second half because I oh, wanted wow. to get back to bed mm-hmm. and I didn't sleep because we had a flight back we had a flight the next morning and I was so worried about not being able to sleep. Whereas our friends just stayed and, you know, didn't care if they got sleep or not. Yeah. Yeah. So I did try all that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really common. I think a lot of people are going to identify <laughs> with everything you've just said there. You know, it's completely natural that we're going to want to try all these different experiments, you know, yeah. in a bid to improve our sleep. Because um, as I say many times, um, 
pretty much everything in life responds positively to effort, you know? So um, when we struggle with sleep, our natural inclination is to put effort into it, to troubleshoot, to solve the problem. Often what happens is we then, as soon as we put effort into sleep, we kind of imply that we can control sleep. And as soon as we go down that rabbit hole of trying to control sleep, sleep becomes close to impossible. It becomes really difficult. Um, And so when we engage in all these different experiments, um, they're really helpful just because if nothing else, our brain has to stay alert to monitor for the results of those experiments. So anytime you try something, you get into bed and you're thinking, okay, I tried this today. Let's see if I can sleep. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as soon as you start there, it makes sleep more difficult. Um, and and we can also end up doing following this process, which you just hinted at, you know, where we start to remove all these enjoyable moments and experiences and positive opportunities from our life because we're worried yeah. how they might affect our sleep. Um, and so the end result there is we become more worried and more concerned about sleep, put more pressure on ourselves to sleep because we're associating sleep with a negative outcome, you know? So for example, I I can't finish watching this concert because Mm. it might impact my sleep. So you you miss out on that. Um, You still don't sleep well anyway, but then you've associated sleep with missing out on watching that concert that you really would have enjoyed and would have added enjoyment to your life. And um, all all of these behaviors and thought processes and experiments are all completely understandable and justifiable. You know, we shouldn't feel bad that we went, we went down that route because as I said, everything else in life probably would have responded well, but sleep Mm -hmm. works differently, you know, and as soon as we engage in these experiments um, and trying to modify our days or compensate for sleep, it can actually make sleep more difficult because it implies that we can somehow control sleep. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, like, you know, so leading on from that, this is why these these cognitive and behavioral techniques that I talk about are just so helpful because they address all these thoughts that we have, the behaviors that we often implement in response to poor sleep. And these end up perpetuating insomnia, you know, making it more difficult for our sleep to recover. Um, mainly because these thoughts and these behaviors, they can disrupt our sleep drive, you know, just our natural propensity to sleep. Um, They can disrupt our internal body clock. And probably the big one, uh, which everyone will identify with, is they can heighten arousal, you know, just activate the mind, fire up all those thought processes and that worry. Um, So I know, so for that reason, you know, when I work with people, that's something that I really focus time and attention on. Um, so when you learned about that, you know, the influence that our thoughts and our behaviors can have on sleep, um, I'm sure that you were probably able to identify things you'd done, you know, which you just touched upon in a bid to improve your sleep and yeah. you know, somehow cope with insomnia that might have actually been making sleep more difficult. Yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. did so, you know, you just mentioned all, the, all those kind of experiments and cancelling plans with friends and um, yeah. like modifying your days. Did, do you notice like other behaviours creeping in, you know, think that are quite common among people with insomnia? That I think common ones are things like um, go, spending more time in bed, you know, spending a, real, a really long time in bed, maybe going to bed earlier, staying in bed later, maybe napping yeah. during the day. Um, things like that were they familiar to you um yes I did try to nap in an afternoon Mm. um and um I don't know really um I was just miserable though you know it made it made me very miserable and short-tempered and I, I wasn't very easy to live with but I I I was spending a lot of time um during the day on the internet in the bid to find out other things um which might help me that i hadn't that i hadn't actually tried um i yeah i was i was pretty desperate and um and my husband would um bless us the ground you walk on (laughs) you know he's never seen he 
I said, how long do you think I've had this friend? He said, you've had it all your life, you know, all your married life anyway, as long as he's known me. Yeah. He's really happy. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of touched upon this when I asked you that question about this arousal, you know, um, and how this can really perpetuate sleep problems. Um, yeah. And there's arousal isn't always anxiety you know there's i like to say there's kind of three branches of arousal so we have this cognitive arousal you know and this mm -hmm. is kind of just worry you know sleep related mm -hmm. worry and it can often not be restricted to the night we can find ourselves worrying about sleep throughout the day yeah. um and then we have this kind of physiological arousal just like the the physical symptoms of it and you touched upon this earlier you would get into bed and feel really hot for example yeah you know yeah. um just that the way our body responds to this this heightened arousal yeah. um, and we can also have this conditioned arousal where we kind of just learn that the bed or sleep is unpleasant um yeah. so we might actually feel sleepy during the day or the early evening mm. when we know it's not bedtime but then as soon as we get into bed, it's like we're wide awake. Um, and yeah. it, might, it might not be that we're worried, but we just feel wide awake and we just have lost yeah. that sense of sleepiness. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so all those kind of three branches of arousal, you know, they, again, they feed in and they perpetuate the problem. Um, and so this is why taking steps to address these thought processes and the behaviors that we implement to help set the stage for sleep and reduce the power um, of the arousal system can just be really helpful um, in terms of improving your sleep for the long term because they really get to the, the core yeah. problem that's generating sleep difficulties. Yeah. Um, so anyway, moving on, I remember, you know, when you first started submitting those sleep logs, um, you were spending about eight hours in bed at night um, but you really weren't getting even close to, close no, to eight hours no. of sleep. I, um, I think it was about closer to about three hours of sleep each yeah. that first week. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's common again among people with insomnia. We, we'll often allot the amount of time for sleep that we want to be spending asleep yeah. rather than how much sleep we're getting. And this usually just means more time awake during the night. Um, which is unpleasant and it can increase this arousal, um, you know, more time to worry about sleep just doesn't feel yeah. good. We're reinforcing that negative association between the bed and being awake instead of yeah. asleep. And so we have this technique known as sleep restriction, probably better yeah. phrased as bedtime restriction because we're yeah. not restricting the amount of sleep you get. We're just trying to restrict the amount of time you spend in bed yeah. to get a little bit closer to the amount of time that you actually spend asleep on an average night and that that reduces the amount yeah. of time you spend awake helps build sleep drive during the day yeah um so when you first learned about this technique the sleep restriction technique yeah um, what, what were your thoughts on that did it seem something did it feel appealing to you or did the idea <laughs> of spending less time yeah. in bed not feel very appealing or attractive um, no, um, i heard about it sleep restriction and it's something i hadn't actually tried and but it, it was hard to do. It was easier to do it when you know that um, you have someone um, who understands, mm -hmm. you know, who who is leading leading it basically. Yeah. You know, sort of telling you what to do, and um, that you were there basically, Martin. And, and um, it it was the most difficult thing about it was with the sleep restriction was also because I was doing the sleep restriction and I was also giving up the sleeping tablets. So that wasn't mm. very easy to begin with. Um, but I had, I got over that in surprisingly quickly, a couple of days of, um, of not sleeping very well. I remember one night, I, the first few nights I was sleeping two or three hours mm. and then um, there was a completely sleepless night. But then I'd also stopped, I'd prepared myself for a miserable week. And I, I stopped the sleeping tablets as well. But it was quite amazing. By the end of that first week, really very quickly, I was uh, feeling a lot better. I wasn't taking a tablet. And it was actually working mm. on me. And one thing I have realized since I, I did that, uh, the sleep restriction, is that I was going to bed too early. 
and now my bedtime has kind of set itself into a, a mean a mean time which is much later mm -hmm. um than i normally would have gone to bed yeah. and so actually i'm getting a longer evening because i'm not obsessing about sleeping and i'm enjoying my evenings i can feel my eyes closing within about half an hour mm -hmm. and i'm i'm really sleeping so well I'm, it's April now, and I started this, I think, is it November? Um, November or December, I started mm -hmm. with you. And it took a while, but uh, I can honestly say that, you know, it's so good. Yeah, that's great. You know, you, you did get um, really noticeable improvements really quickly from, yeah, from bedtime restriction, from allotting less time for sleep. Not everyone gets results that quickly, you know, um, yeah, so I want to recognize that some people it takes a few weeks, um, you know, to, to recognize, um, that sense of sleepiness to start spending less time awake during the night. Um, but I think it was, I think, you know, once you get you notice those improvements it can just be yeah. so reassuring you know to recognize that that sleep drive is there um and when you can recognize it you know that you do have the ability to sleep if you spend enough time awake you will always sleep no matter how intense your anxiety or your arousal is you know yeah. sleep always happens in the end and you touched upon getting that sensation of sleepiness back amazing yeah exactly and because i think the the primary symptom associated with insomnia is fatigue you know so we just feel yeah. worn out and run down and it's really easy yeah. to confuse fatigue with sleepiness and go to bed because we recognize fatigue thinking that we're sleeping yeah. and when we don't fall asleep because we're not sleepy enough for sleep yeah. we then worry that we're not going to fall asleep you know and it starts that whole chain reaction of this hyper arousal and this active mind which makes sleep more difficult um, so um, it's really good that you touched upon how satisfying and how good it felt to feel that sense of sleepiness yeah. again. Um, so, so, you know, you, you mentioned that that, that week was difficult, you know, that first yeah. week. Um, Maybe and, the first couple of weeks actually. Yeah. And I think were, were there any nights where you just didn't get any sleep or you just yeah. got really little sleep? Yeah. How did you, how do you get through that how do you get through that you know so it's one thing to kind of have faith or belief in these techniques you yeah. know but when you're so concerned about sleep when you've had insomnia for such yeah. a long period of time you start implementing these new techniques when you get that night of no sleep it's so easy to believe that you know is the techniques not going to work or you're beyond yeah. help or there's something unique. How do you keep looking forward and, you know, stay consistent? How did you do that? Well, um, I, I accept that sometimes I don't believe that everybody, even the best sleeper sleeps well every single night. There are bad nights. Sometimes you, my husband, for instance, will have a sleepless night. Um, and he's a good sleeper normally. And yeah. so I don't think that it's a given that you're going to sleep well for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. But it's more of the acceptance that you won't sleep well. And if you, you know, now if I have a bad night, and I have, I've been, I was keeping my diary, and I know now that if I have a zero, zero hours a night, which hasn't happened very often, but it has happened a few times, mm. just don't worry about it. And I'll sleep well the next night. And if, not then then by night three definitely is it yeah. you know but it's never happened really two sleepless nights in a row but it's quite amazing how with no sleep you can sleep and i mean doctors oh you can you can be awake mm. the next day and i mean doctors do it all the time there are many people who don't get great amount of sleep and they have to be focused and i just don't mm. worry about it i i don't have a worry of worry of insomnia now so mm it's not a problem yeah i think that can be really helpful you know just recognizing that no one has perfect sleep every single no. night even people that don't even think about sleep they're going to yeah. have difficult nights from time to time sure. um, sometimes there's an obvious explanation for it sometimes there's yeah. not um, yeah. but the fact is the body always compensates for this by itself yeah. you know and so yeah we can have remarkably good days or feel remarkably full of energy after very little sleep or even no sleep. Yeah, amazing. Um, 
but it's when we try and get involved in the process, you know, when we start to troubleshoot or try and conserve energy during the day, um, remove enjoyable activities from our day that can perpetuate the issue. When you get to that point where you can just recognize that the body will take care of this by itself. And during this time, I might have nights of less sleep than I want to get. I might even have nights of no sleep whatsoever. Um, But as long as I try and remove myself from the process of trying to sleep as much as possible, the body will take care of it and sleep will almost always get back on track all by itself. Yes. I mean, no, uh, in the past, well, I, I would give myself a limit. Like if I'm not asleep by 2 AM, then I need to take a tablet. So, you know, kind of just give me this limit, um, never seeing it through, never allowing myself to see, see it through whether I accept or not, you know, yeah. not giving myself the chance to do that. So it was the push. I, this course was the push I needed to, um, test myself really. Yeah. That's, that is one of the issues, you know, when we take, pills or supplements um, mm. contingently, you know? So if we have this plan that I'll only take it if I'm up at 2 a.m. or if yeah. I'm really struggling, um, yeah. because then what happens is you miss that opportunity to credit any sleep you get with your yeah. own natural ability to sleep. Um, yeah. and especially if you reach for that pill or that supplement after a, a really difficult night or during a really difficult night or after, after a really difficult stretch, because yes. at that point, sleep drive is really strong. So your natural propensity to sleep, your natural urge to sleep is going to be really intense anyway. So the chances are you're going to sleep because you've just been awake for so long. Yeah. But what happens is you reach for that X, whatever it is, you reach for that pill, that supplement. And then when you do sleep, you believe that you only slept because of that pill or that supplement, you know? So all that kind of sleep drive you've been built, that opportunity for you to get that reassurance that your sleep drive is there, it's working for you, you can sleep, um, is continually eroded when we just reach for things on a contingent basis. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, you said that you started to go to bed a little bit later in the, in the night, you know, you started to get that sense of sleepiness felt really good. And another aspect of this bedtime restriction is getting out of bed by this consistent out of bedtime in the morning. Yeah. How did you do with that? Was this something that you did anyway? You know, got out of bed at the same time? No, because I'm retired. So I didn't really have to, I, that was the, one good thing that I'm retired, then I, at least I thought, well, you know, if I don't sleep till really late, then I can lie in and that sort mm. of thing. Um, so yeah, it was quite hard in the beginning. Um, mm. yes, I set my alarm for nine o'clock in the morning, but, um, it was good because no matter how I set, I, you know, plan my day. I didn't, I didn't let myself lay in or go back to sleep or, mm. you know, or, you know, or try to sleep. It yeah. was, uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I felt better because I was actually doing something about it. And there was, I wasn't doing it on my own. I mean, I could have tried it on my own and I didn't think it would have worked. But the fact that I had to report to you and, you know, actually start a diary and make a note of the hours and, you know, um, it, I needed the support. Basically, what I realized is, um, I needed the right support um, with my sleep, mm-hmm. with my insomnia, and up to date, I I never found it. Yeah, you know, it it can be re- trying to stick to that consistent out of bedtime can just be so helpful. You know, just because yeah. it gives our first of all, it just gives our body clock this consistent morning anchor. You know, so it's better mm-hmm. able to be aware of when it's time to be awake and when it's time to be asleep. Um, and if you get out of bed by the same time every day, don't go to bed before a certain time every day, you're making sure that there's enough time during the day for sleep drive to build to a strong enough level to help you sleep at night. So it can feel really good on those nights, you know, when your alarm goes off 
and you it feels like you just fell asleep you know an hour ago you just fell asleep and you're capable of getting like another four hours yeah. so there's that temptation to just turn the alarm off get those four hours of sleep but the problem is it feels great at the time but you're almost yeah. setting yourself up for sleep disruption the following night because there's going to be that amount less time for you to build that sleep drive to help you sleep yeah. for the following night so it really is this you kind of have to make this deal with yourself that there might be a little bit of short-term pain you might miss out on a little bit of that morning sleep yeah. but in return you're going to enjoy long-term yeah. improvements more consistent yeah. sleep and better sleep really for the rest of your life yeah. so sometimes when you put it in that perspective it's worth the trade-off yeah. Do you have any tips for people in terms of sticking to that consistent out of bedtime? You know, because especially when you first try to stick to that consistent yeah. out of bedtime, it can just be so hard, especially if you think that you're capable of getting a bit more sleep. Yes, um, I know what you mean. How, do you, how do you stay consistent with that? Do you have any tips for people? What, like, what did you do? How did you manage to keep that really strong morning anchor time? Well, I set myself, um, I tried to fill my diary, and even if I wasn't busy, um, to, to really have structure to the day. Mm. I know that you, you, it's not going to, it may not be easy in the beginning. It, it can be very hard. I would imagine maybe some people give up. I really don't know. Mm. I hope not. But um, it, honestly, it's so worth sticking to, to, um, uh, to it. It really is worth sticking to it because it it really, really does work. And I have heard before that it worked. I've read about it, but I've never actually had the opportunity to try it myself. And, you know, if you, I think that um, you have to believe in it and it really does work to reset your, your sleep clock. Mm. Yeah, yeah, just have faith, have faith, basically. Yeah, I think you touched upon a really important point. You know, if you can add some some kind of structure or some kind of routine yeah. to your life, because the temptation is to conserve energy and remove activity from your life because yes, exactly. you've got that intense fatigue, you know. Yeah. Um, but this just leads to less structure in your day. So there's yeah. more of that temptation to stay in bed for longer. Yeah. And if nothing else, there's more time during the day when your mind has yeah. nothing else to do apart yeah. from think and worry about sleep. Um, so we, I actually see people, I talk to people all the time that have been struggling with sleep and they have retirement coming up mm -hmm. and they think that once I retire, everything will be great. But then they mm -hmm. find their sleep gets worse upon retirement yeah. because there's no longer that structure yeah. in the day. Yeah. There's not that obligation to get out of bed to no. go to work. Um, yes. and so you just leave, you have, you tend to spend more time in bed. You spend more time, um, without those daytime distractions, yeah. you're thinking about sleep more and worrying about sleep more. Yeah. Um, so it can be really helpful to make sure that you are still filling your day or uh, engaging in positive activities during the day. Yeah. Um, it doesn't all have to be really intense physical activity. Yeah. You know, being physically active is obviously good anyway, but you don't have to be kind of yeah. training for a marathon or anything. Yeah. But just adding these moments and activities to your day that make you feel good, that give you a yeah. sense of enjoyment, a sense of enrichment, of reward. Um, and not only does this help you feel better, it means there's less time for your mind to think and worry about sleep. And especially if you make the effort to pursue these kind of things after a bad night of sleep, it yes, can definitely. help you recognize that the quality of your sleep doesn't 100% dictate the quality of your day, that you can have a no. difficult night, but a good day yeah. because okay. ultimately we are the ones in control of what we do during the day. And if we do things yeah. that make us feel good, we're going to feel good. And we can then recognize that sleep is maybe not quite as important in our lives mm -hmm. as we've always thought it would be. Yeah, it's true. I have, I have a dog and um, so he's inspiration for me to get up anyway. And he's really enjoying his early, early morning walks. But I, one thing I find that is um, helped me a lot is, well, me a bit or a lot really is mindfulness is i'm very mindful now mm. um now i'm feeling so much better i'm I just 
I, I tried to be mindful when I had um, insomnia, but it, I think my cloud, my brain was so clouded by the, the drugs or the tiredness or fatigue. Yeah. But now I'm so much more alert and there's so many beautiful things around us outside. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's just lovely. Yeah, you know? I, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, mindfulness or any relaxation technique is a skill. Yeah. You know, I think it's important yeah. to recognize that it does take practice regardless yeah. of what your preferred method of relaxation is it's actually yeah. a skill you know it's like riding yeah. a bike the first few times you try it it's not yeah. going to do much for you um, and the goal of any relaxation technique should always just be relaxation not sleep yeah. because we can't control yeah. sleep in any way no. um, but yeah this this idea of mindfulness you know just being present it can just be yeah. so helpful because when we can recognize that so much of our worries and our anxiety in life um, is to do with what hasn't happened yet or what might happen in the future. Um, It can really help us recognize that, you know, a lot of the thoughts that we have and a lot of the worries we have are based on things that haven't even happened yet or might not even ever happen. Um, So um, I don't know, like an example, if you're going to speak at a conference, let's say you've got a conference in a month's time and you're going to be giving a speech and you find that uh, and that conference, you're speaking for, say, 15 minutes. So really 15 minutes of yeah. pressure. But the problem yeah. is you're thinking and worrying about that upcoming conference for an hour or two every day for like two months leading up yeah. to it. And yeah. so when you can recognize this idea of mindfulness, well, why am I worrying about that now? That's two yeah. months down the line. Yeah. How about I just try and be focused on the now? Yeah. Like right this second. Yeah. And when, when you can kind of think about that some more, you do recognize how much mental energy and worry is used thinking about things that haven't happened or might not even ever happen. Yeah. It's pretty, it is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. How, how did you get into mindfulness, by the way? Were there any kind of uh, books that you read or other yeah, kind of Yeah, I've read, read quite a lot of uh, mindfulness, um, mindful books, uh, because when I had anxiety, um, it, it was recommended to me by my therapist. And also I read on the insomnia sites that it, it, it can help mm. you uh, with insomnia and that's so oh i know and somebody the acupuncturist book i went to for insomnia she um she told me about um a podcast head head i can't remember the name of it but a series it was an app Mm. and it was really good it was really good well but just for the mindfulness but not for you know i'm not talking from the insomnia point of view but it was, so I did kind of practice it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I do it right, but uh, I tend to, I walk a lot. And here, I'm in Spain at the moment. There's so many beautiful things to look at. And mm-hmm. I, am, I do find it slows me down and it really does keep me calm. Yeah. Headspace, well, it's called headspace. Headspace, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think it can just be really helpful. We, often it's that worry about a difficult night of sleep yeah. that is more challenging than the actual difficult night of sleep itself. Yeah. You know, it's, we find that you can find that you spend hours during the day thinking and worrying about what's going to happen tonight. Whereas yeah. what you could be doing perhaps instead is adding positive moments to your day, enjoyable activities to your day. Um, Because tonight is tonight. Tonight hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. And we can't predict the future anyway. You might have a bad night, absolutely. But you might not have a bad night. But if you're spending the whole day worrying about the bad night, that can often be the biggest challenge, perhaps even more than any potential difficult night itself. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, I, I really appreciate the, the time that you've spared for this discussion. I think a lot of people are going to find it really helpful. Um, so thank you for that. I do like to always end these podcasts with the same kind of question. Um, so I'm going to pose it to you as well. Um, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feels as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help, they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? 
Well, I'm 69 years old and I've had insomnia nearly all my life, over 60 years. I never ever believed that I would um, be able to sleep properly. And um, I, put, I did put my faith in Martin and having his support. Um, and the program itself is absolutely excellent. I, I, I would never have believed it would have worked as well as it did. I still can't believe it. So really, you should give it a go because I'm pretty sure that he'd be able to help you as well. well that's, that's, that's really kind of you, Sally. Thank <laughs> You're you. welcome. You know, I think it's some... Ultimately, you know, all I all I act as is the guide. You know, I can give yeah. people information and support them in terms of making the behavioural changes that can be really helpful. Um, so I think it's important for you to make sure you give yourself credit because yeah. you're the one that did all the work, Thank put you. all the effort into into improving Thank your sleep you. in a constructive way. And now, you know, because all these techniques are really skill based, it's like you mm -hmm. said yourself. You now have this toolbox at your disposal. Yeah. You know, so any time sleep disruption might return um, for a prolonged period of time, because we know that a yeah. bad night of sleep every now and then is normal. But yeah. if if your sleep isn't getting back on track by itself, now you know exactly what to do because you've yeah. got this toolbox of techniques that you can just re-implement to get your sleep back on track. They worked for you in the past and you know they can yeah. work for you again. And that in itself can just be really reassuring. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you again. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. I know a lot of people listening to this are going to relate to your story. And because you are successful, then that means that they can be successful too. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long term improvements in your sleep you get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.